So that's what I'm going to do. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about lady wisdom and woman folly. I'm not going to get too nitty gritty with these for sake of time. I really hope this is just a catalyst for you in your own time to get into Proverbs and really delve into it this next couple months as we wrestle with some of this. I think that you'll really uh, be excited you did. I've been talking to Marie Rex. She's been doing a, a, a daily study and has been dwelling on Proverbs, and she just ke- keeps telling me every week how excited she is. And so uh, I hope you would join her in that or go talk to her and she'll get you excited. So I'm going to talk about a little bit about that because I think there's some really neat imagery there for us to take with us. And then I'm going to talk just briefly about how to get the most out of this series. I've got some tips from some things I want you to think about. All right. So lady wisdom and woman folly. I want to talk a little bit about the context, like why a woman? I think it can be easy maybe for the women to feel a disconnect here or to feel extra offended. You could say the same thing. You could say man folly. I, I, if I had more time, I would have tried to find a bad picture of one of the guys in the group and make an image of man folly. Um, I didn't have time to do that. Missed opportunity. Um, but, you know, there, there is, uh, I, I think that it, it speaks powerfully to both of us, if, if, you know, both sexes, if you allow it. So think about the context that Proverbs was wit- written. The book is addressed to young men, so it's fitting that his father employs this metaphor of pursuing a woman, and the type of woman that you pursue is going to have profound implications on you in your life. We see uh, examples of uh, scriptures where men and their decisions to remain faithful to God or to succumb to idolatry really hung on that, the type of woman that they chose to pursue. You think about Solomon. Uh, Solomon himself, he fell into idolatry, because of his love for many foreign wives. And if you want to look at that, you can look at Kings, 1 Kings. In Deuteronomy 7, God commands the Israelites not to intermarry with any of the Canaanite women um, when they come into the promised land because these women would lead them to worship other gods. You see sexual fidelity and spiritual fidelity are intimately connected throughout Scripture. Another reason we see this personification as female is that in Hebrew, both the words wisdom and folly are grammatically feminine. So for a Hebrew reader, it would have been instinctive for um, them to refer uh, to either as she. So just a little bit of context. So lady wisdom, you get a lot of really neat tidbits. I want to start with Proverbs 1, and then you get a really neat kind of fuller picture in Proverbs 7, 8, and 9. So I would encourage you to go look at that later. But I want to read this to you. So this is Proverbs 1, 20 to 33. This is wisdom's rebuke, lady wisdom. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square on top of the wall. She cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. How long, you who are simple, love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call, and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but I will not, but will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways." 
and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Powerful stuff. Proverbs personifies Yahweh's wisdom as a lady, like a prophet, standing in a public square where merchants might assemble and she's shouting out. Like a prophet, she urges people to pay attention and warns them of their stupid lifestyles and calls them to turn away from them. And I think there's something neat here. We'll kind of talk about, rather than warn them of this pending judgment, Instead, she warns them to turn away lest their lives end in a mess as a natural consequence of their choices. If you spurn wisdom's counsel, she warns that she will laugh at your calamity and mock you. What does that mean? I don't think that that means God doesn't care and that he's unfeeling. So as soon as we make a foolish mistake, I don't want you picturing God in the sky laughing at you. There's some figurative language here. You're not going to find her teary-eyed when you call out from your mess. Because you've brought this on yourself. So God will work to bring us out of that stuff. He does care. Proverbs 9, 1 through 6, you get this picture um, a little bit fuller. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the high places of the city. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake your folly and live and proceed in the ways of understanding. So this is the highest point of the city. She instructs her maid specifically to invite the simple-minded, those who lack judgment. She seeks to help those who are in need. And what she offers is good. She offers meat. She offers mixed wine. Who would not want to come into this? She's built and erected this phenomenal temple and this awesome house and has kindly asked us in. We are a fool if we don't take such an extravagant invitation. It's food that brings life. She says in 835, whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. As opposed to woman folly. Woman folly, on the other hand, is a negative counterpart. She calls out for men to heed her as well. She invites them into a meal as well. But her claim to leadership is illegitimate. She also erects um, her place from the highest places of the town. That's an allusion to this position of authority, but it's false. Many who follow her do so because they believe foolishness has rightful claim over their lives. But folly is a usurper. When When we were made to live by divine wisdom, right? Proverbs 9, 13 to 18. So just so you know, I, I'm going to leave this to Garrett, but so I read from Proverbs 9, 1 through 6, right in between that, I want to say it's verse 10. That's where we get kind of the foundation of wisdom. It begins with fear of the Lord, right? You have that right in between this contrast between um, wisdom and folly, and then it moves on to Proverbs 9, 13 to 18. The woman of folly is boisterous. She is naive and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house on a seat by the high places of the city, calling to those who pass by, who are making their paths straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn and hear. To him who lacks understanding, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So she prepares this feast 
Then she calls to those outside. She's loud, undisciplined. She's obnoxious. She's rude. But she's also enticing. She's seductive. She covers her, her prey with flattery. And I think we forget that woman folly has studied us. She knows you. She knows how to dress up. You know, Proverbs uses some of these illustrations of like long eyelashes and nails. And, you know, I don't know what the counterpart for for man would be if it's like tight jeans and a cowboy hat or (laughs) something like clay, maybe a little bit. Um, Is that weird? I don't know. Over the line. Um, But she's good. She studies you and she knows how to persuade you. She knows what you fancy. And she knows how to get you in her doorstep. What does she say to you? You think about, I mean, you could go down the list. This text conversation is harmless. My spouse won't mind. Follow that guy. He just flipped you off. You don't deserve that. Seek justice. God is a God of justice. You deserve justice. I mean, there's so many things. We're so, we're so easily duped, aren't we? I know I am. I'm duped on a daily basis. She personally invites her guests in to come. She doesn't send out her maids, even if she has them. She shouts out, calling and crooning to those who pass pass by, you're welcome in this place. And she targets the young, the gullible, those that don't know any better, the naive, the ignorant, the innocent. Woman Folly invites these these folks into a feast that has been stolen. It's quite different from the meat that has been carefully prepared by Lady Wisdom. Take notice of what was on the menu. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. This verse points out a truth about sin. It often tempts people by claiming that God is withholding good things from them. So they should defy His commands and enjoy whatever they want. You deserve it. The image of stolen water and bread eaten in secret is meant to evoke this idea of something forbidden or taken through illicit means. And it's important to notice that what folly offers is far inferior to what wisdom promises. Wisdom's invitation included mixed wine and prepared meat, as we talked about. But sadly, human nature often prefers what God has placed off limits over the things that he has approved. As those, those, don't, those aren't good enough or they're lesser than. We talk about this a lot with the teens. We, we get this very misguided notion that it's the things of God are kind of like eating vegetables and the things of the world is kind of like candy and sugar stuff. And that's not the case. There are plenty of things that God offers that are, are immaculate in, in, in the way that they taste and what they offer. It's the fruits, the peaches, the apples. There's so much taste and flavor out there and they nourish us. It's not the empty promise of candy that gives us nothing after, you know, we're, we're done sucking it down. And then it goes on in 9.18, but little do they know that the dead are there, that our guests are deep in the realm of the dead. I don't know what I was watching the other day. It's just now hitting me. I was, it was super creepy. I turned on the TV. Either that or I was on my phone flipping through YouTube. I don't remember. But these guys had stumbled into this like witch's nest and it kept flashing back and forth. They'd like put them under the spell and they saw this immaculate feast in front of them and were just dining and laughing and having so much fun. And then the whole screen would go like dark and black and browns. And it wasn't the fruit. It wasn't the meats. It was just worms and everything was rotten and they were chewing on like rotten chicken legs and it was revolting. 
And, you know, they saw these beautiful women at their table, and then it would go back to the screen, and it was these nasty witches that never brushed their teeth in their lifetime. Teeth? <laughs> teeth in their lifetime. You know? And uh, we're just rotten themselves. And I feel like that's a good illustration. We get so duped thinking that we're dining on something amazing, and you're dining on death. Her guests are walking cadavers. Foolishness has its attractions, but it's not a viable alternative to truth. And it's simply not worth it. The cost is just too high. So how to get the most out of this series? I have just five quick things. Number one, reflect and pray to identify areas of foolishness. Galatians 3.1 says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I think maybe I talked about this last time. I tend, tend to jump the gun, but... Oh, my sermons and jump around a lot. But this is a different context. He was dealing with something else, but he uses this illustration as though you once believed the right thing, and now I come back and you're doubting the resurrection. You're doubting who Jesus truly is. What's happened? It's almost as like somebody has put, put a spell over you. And I think the same thing happens with us. We go off to our workplaces. We consume our media. We come back together with these new ideas and these very perverted perceptions of who Jesus is and what this life is all about. And it's as though somebody has put a spell over us. Who has bewitched you? What has bewitched you? This is a great serious series to, to put some of that stuff to the test and see what's real and what's not. Number two, seek wisdom out. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Asking God for wisdom is evidence that we trust Him. James tells us that God gives wisdom generously. When's the last time you went and asked God for something like that? That's why Solomon is so impressive to us. Right? And taking over the reins of his father David, he wanted to be able to judge God's people in a wise fashion, with great discernment, be able to discern between good and evil. And of all things he wanted, he just wanted wisdom, and God granted it. If you lack wisdom, ask God for it. He's not stinging in his provision of insight. Number three, practice wisdom. We talk a lot about this. God says, if you love me, you will obey me. I think I mentioned this last time that the Greek word for faith is pistis, that it's, it has this connotation both of belief and action that comes out of that belief. Too often in our day and age, we've just made belief and faith synonymous, and they're not. Belief is passive. Faith is active. I can say I believe in anything, but it just doesn't require much of me. And too often we treat the Christian life as the same thing. We applaud ourselves on the back because we have so much knowledge and we believe in the right things and we think God is impressed with that. But he says even the demons believe and they shudder. They shudder. They recognize. That's not enough. Our faith has to be shown in our life, in our action, in our speech, in the way that we respond to his words. Your ears just perking up and recognizing truth and maybe even getting excited about it's not enough. I challenge that with myself constantly as I read um, the scripture and read commentary and whatever. I'm like, am I putting this into practice? I'm so convicted when I've spent an hour or two reading something in the morning and then I get in my car and I act like a jerk. I'm not too good to be wronged. I was sharing this in my FOJ this morning. The only reason I'm here is because God was not too good to be wronged. If, 
If, if I'm too good for that, I can't follow him in the most basic fashion. I can't be, begin to. But the point is, is, I need to practice what I preach. And that costs me something. You know, he gives us this illustration of looking in a mirror and forgetting what you look like. It's ludicrous. And we do that regularly on, the sun, on Sunday mornings. To be a disciple means to be a learner, a student. When you come in Sunday morning, do you come in as a student? When you go to your one-on-ones, when you get with your one-on-one discipleship relationships, when you go to your uh, TNF or your CTF on Wednesday night, whatever your ministry is, do you go as a student? Are you there as a student? Do you leave as a student? Do you apply? Do you have anything in in place to, to practice what you preach and do you go get accountability? It takes a lot of purposefulness, and it's not easy. I know we we beat this drum a lot, but just don't face Satan's lies alone. You need community, and it's hard. I mean, one of the things I've struggled most with in my life is just community in the sense of, you know, as iron sharpens iron. It's not fun to be sharpened. It's not fun for people to, to shed light on your weaknesses and deficiencies and sense. And it's really easy for me to just butt up against that over and over. But as you guys have probably heard from me and many others, um, you know, it wasn't until I learned to stop taking that stuff personally that I really began to grow. You've got to let people in your life and let them make some mistakes. Be a fan for them as they challenge you, as they're a fan for you as they challenge you. Did I say that right? No, not at all. But maybe you get my point. I think being a part, I'll re-say it, being a part of being somebody's biggest fan is loving them enough to challenge you. But be their fan as they challenge you. You know, I can look back and, you know, God's given me an extra dose of people that are willing to challenge me and I needed it to my own everlasting shame. I needed a double dose. I needed John Von Ronin and Ronnie Warsham. Um, where I'd be without them is, is pretty scary. Um, you know, but I can still think back in my ignorance, and I may be wrong, and think, well, they didn't handle that best. But I'm still glad that they dared to challenge me. Because yeah. the risk on the other side is so much higher. And they were able to do that because they loved me richly. I never questioned who were my biggest fans. They challenged me hardest, but they loved me most. Four, don't hang around fools. Proverbs 14.7, go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. Proverbs 13.20, at the end of that, he says the companion of fools will be destroyed. I'd encourage you just to take a stock of your relationships, both Christian and non-Christian. What's the fruit of those? What do you talk about? Because maybe some of those, even the Christian relationships, need to be repurposed. Maybe they've lost sight and you get together and you shoot the breeze and maybe you're just talking politics and you're being negative and you're feeding each other in ways that's not best. Go have a conversation and repurpose those. And if you need help doing that, get a mentor, get a brother or sister and get some insight on how to do that. I don't think often the first step is severance of a relationship, but some of us may need to sever relationships. And then five Run from foolishness. foolishness. Run from it. Proverbs 6, 5. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. 
Now, the context of this, he's talking about wealth. He's talking about co-signing on a high-interest risky loan. Um, and, but I think the principle sounds. Solomon's advice is like as soon as you sense danger and you're about to be duped, run. Fly away like a bird flies away. Fly from that trap. As you hear woman folly and you're walking by her and you see the seductress and you hear the seductions, run. Run. Don't give it time. Right? I think about um, Joseph and Potiphar's, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife. Potiphar? I'm, I'm, I'm a Westerner. Um, Potiphar's wife. He didn't, for those that know that story... You know, she kept seducing and seducing and seducing, and he kept saying no. And then when everybody was out of the house, she goes and grabs his cloak. And what does he do? He twists out of that sucker and hightails it out of there. That's a consequence, right? Running, running without your cloak right out of your house. That's embarrassing. The cost was high. But he knew that the cost was higher in staying. He didn't say, oh, I'm so flattered. He didn't sit there and try to mitigate it. He didn't sit there and play games and give sin any time to to tempt him. He hightailed it out. That's what we need to do. That's what I need to do. Hightail it out of there. God hates sin. And sin only leads to death. All sin. It only leads to death. Pursuing lady, Lady Wisdom's call means spurning woman folly's call. And that comes at a cost. So I just hope that you would leave with this kind of sobering reminder that we're all capable of being the fool. And we are all at times the fool. Let's, let's keep ourselves full of divine wisdom. Let's pursue divine, uh, pursue divine wisdom. Let's be people that meditate on the Word of God and just fall in love with it. Surround ourselves with it. Surround ourselves with people that love wisdom too and share it and are willing to make us uncomfortable because they want what's best for us. Amen? Amen. I found this prayer online and I just want to pray it over all of us. If you want this prayer, I'm happy to send it to you. So pray with me. Lord, I choose to listen to the voice of wisdom. Teach me to walk in your ways. I want to know you intimately. I choose to follow your word and make its words of instruction the guide of my life. Please give me wisdom and understanding. Lead me in the paths of righteousness of your namesake. Let my life be a living testament to the faithfulness of my God. Amen. Amen. All right, I love you guys. Go in peace.